Good morning. Great being with you. And uh, as Andy was saying, you know, I, I am on the leadership team of LifeLinks. I'm highly motivated in my role there as well because I receive benefit from being a pastor in LifeLinks with oversight and help from LifeLinks. And we had that for a number of years, and it was really, really helpful. There were times, crucial times in our lives, especially the life of the church and my life, where our leaders came in and spoke things to us. And I think it operates on several levels, but in our church, uh, the, the people in the congregation didn't always know how we were benefiting, but we leaders were really benefiting. So my desire as a LifeLinks leader is to help benefit your leaders and the church, and so it's great to have this opportunity to speak to you today. So that's great. Uh, Dave Wells is the leader of LifeLinks, and he, he and I have had some awkward conversations. <laughs> about five years ago, I pastored our church for 36 years, and about two and a half years ago, I turned the church over to a guy named Jeremy who's doing a terrific job. But about five years ago, we had this conversation where Dave said, asked me a question. He said, don't you think it's time for you to start thinking about finding someone else to lead the church? And I thought, that's a horrible idea, Dave. Uh, Dave was having a bad hair day or something. It's like, where did you ever get such a bad idea? And I argued with Dave a little bit and told Dave, you know, no, I have all kinds of vision and energy and goals for our church, and I'm young. And uh, I'm young, and so I'd really like to keep this up for a while and see how this goes. And Dave's like, don't you think you need to start thinking about turning this over to somebody else? So we had this conversation, and uh, I made the mistake of asking God if he agreed with Dave. And God did. So I decided, okay, that's two against three, and God's pretty big. Maybe I started, ought to start thinking about this. So it was a conversation that we had that we started, and then as we continued that conversation, I am thank God to this day that we had that conversation because it was so timely. I did come to a point where I felt like it was really the right time to turn the church over. God provided wonderfully for another pastor for us, and it, the rest is history, so to speak. But the other thing that happened was, I, they, should, they say that when the pastor, especially a long-term pastor, leaves, he shouldn't just go from something. He, he shouldn't just leave something. He should go so, to something. So I began asking God and having this conversation with God where we're going to go next. And one of the opportunities was to do more ministry like this. And then to, but God even had an idea of how I could support my ministry habit. I can quit any time, by the way. Uh, First one's free. But anyway, uh, what it was was God began to explain to me and show me that, I, that there was a teaching ministry that I could take to businesses to train businesses in how to handle stress, one of the most stressful things I ever did. So I, I am a resilience trainer and having some great opportunity. I've trained hospital staff, school staff, and a number of different uh, businesses on how to handle stress. And what I tell you, I don't put this in my marketing, I'm taking the kingdom of God to the marketplace in a way that I never dreamed possible. I mean, if, in fact, there was actually a, a, man, a minister who came through our church, and he said, I feel impressed that sometime you're going to go into Chicago, which is about 100 miles from where we live, and you're going to be going into high-rise office buildings, and you're going to be consulting them. And I knew God and this guy well enough not to just blow it off and say, yeah, forget about that. That's, how's that ever going to happen? I had no idea how it was going to happen. Well, I've been doing some marketing in Chicago, and I haven't broken into that market yet, but I actually think that could happen. And I'm pinching myself thinking, this is a wonderful thing that God did that began with Dave's question, awkward as it was. And I had to entertain that question. 
And so I think that maybe God is a little bit like Dave, okay? God may be a little bit like Dave in that God asks questions as well, maybe awkward questions at times. So today I want to talk with you about this whole concept of questions that God asks. What are questions that God... Is it possible that God has some questions he wants to ask us as well? And they may seem quite awkward initially. So, for example, God asks us questions. Like somebody had a t-shirt on one time, and I didn't see this, but heard somebody talk about this. They had a t-shirt on and said, Jesus is the answer. And a Christian was talking to them and said, you know what? Uh, that's not really in the Bible. It says Jesus is the way. I like to go to Jesus for answers. And so, but sometimes he asks questions. So some of those questions are to give us new direction, to kind of get us thinking differently. Sometimes they're even to challenge the wrong things that we think. We can believe things that are wrong at a very deep level. There are things that we can kind of get stuck on. Some of those, sometimes uh, Jesus asks us questions or God asks us questions to call us into a deeper relationship with him. But all of his questions that he may ask us are to begin a conversation. Here's another way to look at this. I, I wrote this down uh, as I was thinking about these kind of things one time. I have lots of questions for God. Now, God's not accountable to me at all, but I have lots of questions for God. While he isn't obligated to me in any way, there are many things that I don't understand that I'd love to ask him, wouldn't you? When we get to heaven, I think one of the first words we're going to say is, oh, now I get it, all right? And so I do ask questions at times. Then I read in the Bible that God has some questions for me or for people like me in the Bible. And in the Bible, God asks questions like, where are you? And what's in your hand? He asked that of Moses. And it led to a brand new direction in Moses' life. Do you love me? Also, a question God asks in the Bible is, what are you looking for? Isn't it interesting that God asks questions? You think he doesn't know the answer? While the Bible has a lot of answers, it also contains some great questions. Could it be that God asks these things so that we think and wrestle with what's really important? God asks, God's questions addressed seriously could actually change our lives. Perhaps that's why questions come to my mind or your mind. Could it be that the questions that we have are actually those that God is asking us? When I go to God, I'm asking a question. I expect an answer, but God sometimes comes to me with a question before I even have the question. So, <laughs> you know, does that sound clear? <laughs> so I ought to answer his questions before I expect him to answer mine. After all, he started the conversation, and he's God. You know, that's another little bonus point he gets. Once I started thinking about questions that God asked, I did some research online and discovered that other people had thought of this before me. How about that? I even found a book on the topic called Questions God Asked by Trevor Hudson. Trevor Hudson takes a look at some of the questions and the reasons that God asked them. He introduces, Trevor Hudson introduces the topic like this. God wants to be in a conversation, God wants us to be in a conversational relationship with him. God allows us to wrestle with the questions rather than just handing down the answers. A question, Trevor Hudson says, a question has greater power to transform us than a straightforward answer. 
especially when it comes from God, who really knows exactly what questions to ask. So just like Dave's question began getting me thinking in a different direction and opened up some great new possibilities for us, maybe God, uh, Dave asked that question because God was asking me that question. God's questions trans- transform us because they help us question old or wrong thinking. Remember Jonah? He went through the... How did he get to his mission field? Through the whale, through the fish. Yeah, he got burped out on a land, dry land, and he decided, you know what? Maybe I'll do what God wants me to do after all. But then when he completed his mission, saw one of the greatest revivals in history, he goes off... And by the way... The revival happened in an enemy city that he'd much rather seen eaten by the whale as well. So he goes off of the mountainside to see what's going to happen to the city, and sure enough, God spares it because they repented and turned to him. And David, uh, Jonah pouts. He sits up on the mountainside, and he just pouts, sticks out his pouty lip. He's really quite upset with God. And there are different things that happen, and he really gets mad, and so God comes to him and asks what question? Do you have any right to be angry? What's he doing? He's challenging his thinking. He's challenging his pout. It's really interesting to me that God does this with a question rather than saying, Jonah, stop pouting or I'm going to send a little fire down to burn your backside. You know, he could do that. I had a dad who liked to tell. There's different kinds of leadership styles, and my dad was very direct. And he would often, you know, even after we were married, some of us... He had six boys, and so he would go, we would go back to him and ask him advice without talking to our wives first. That did not create marital harmony because he would tell us what to do. Well, there are times where God gives you direction and he tells you what to do, but he'd rather have a conversation with you and have us work together with him to where we're thinking like he does. How many times have I prayed, God, help me to think like you do and want what you want? But I don't always, and so he has this conversation with me where he starts asking questions and questions some of my thinking. So God's questions can, can, can transform us because they help us question our old or wrong thinking. They create curiosity in us for what God wants to say and do next, and they help us begin th- uh, thinking like he does. I think that sometimes God's a- ask a church questions. Could it be that God's asking Gillingham Community Church some questions? I wonder what questions he may be asking. I wonder what thinking he wants to challenge. I don't know. I'm not God. What new direction he wants to give you and how he wants to call you into a deeper relationship with him through conversation. Hudson in this author, uh, Trevor Hudson, assures us we are not starting the conversation with God from scratch. He has already begun it. We just need to plug into the conversation that's already going on. That's just like God. That's what he does. So I'm flying, not this trip, but I'm flying from, we live 100 miles west, east of Chicago, east of Chicago, not a farmer. Uh, and so I'm getting on an airplane in South Bend, which is the nearest regional airport. And I'm going somewhere, probably to Chicago. And along the way, I'm sitting next to this guy, and he casually man- mentions along the way what his religion is. So this is kind of how this works, I think. I'm not like God. I mean, I mean, I'm trying to be like God in this matter. So I sit next to this guy, and he tells me what his religion is. And I want to kind of bump him a little bit toward Jesus, but I'm trying to figure out how to do that. So the, the thought comes to me to ask him a question. So I said, oh, what do you believe? 
about God. So I asked him that question. He was very happy to tell me what he believed about God. This thing, we had about a 45-minute flight, and for about 40 minutes, he tells me all this, and I keep asking questions, oh, really, you believe that about God? Never challenged him, just kept asking him questions. After 40 minutes, I had the surprise of my life. You know what he, and he didn't know I was a preacher, but he said, he asked me a question. What was his question? What do you believe about God? I'd give $100 for somebody to ask me that question. He actually, I mean, you think about it. You get on an airplane, somebody turns you, what do you believe about God? Oh, I'm glad you asked, yeah. But what had happened? I had raised a question with him that got him to ask a question that I wanted to answer. I would love to tell him more about Jesus because he has, his ideas about God were a bit confused and they weren't true. And so I think God does, God does not manipulate us. But he loves us, knows us very well, and knows where he wants to take us. So he kind of pops these questions into our mind. Where did that come from? And so what he's doing is he's saying, let's, let's, let's work on this question a bit. Because I either want to show you more about something that you don't understand or correct your thinking even. Kind of help you think through this a little bit. Excellent business coaches know how to ask questions. It can be a better service to their clients to ask great questions rather than just tell them what to do. They ask questions like, in which areas would you like to grow? What do you love to do? What do you need to be at your very best? I can almost God ask, imagine God asking those questions. I can certainly imagine Dave Wells asking those questions. Dave asked 21 questions before he ever makes the statement. Dave Wells does. It drives me crazy. We were, we were starting out with this one. In, the, in about 2000, year 2000, our church was booming. We were having a lot of young people come in. And so we started a, a Saturday night service that we called, we we're really proud of this, Rock the Flock. <laughs> and everybody under 25 wanted to go, and nobody over 25 wanted to go. And it became a church. So I, I visited Dave Wells in Canada, and is, I remember, never forget this conversation. I'm sitting in his home, and he asked me 21 questions about Rock the Flock. And it's like, at question 16, I began to question the direction we were going with Rock the Flock. At question 21, I thought, shoot, maybe we should have gone a little different direction. And what he asked me about and got me thinking about actually happened because eventually that thing became very separated. We lost most of the young adults in our church. And it was like, and they didn't do well as a church, it really floundered because they needed people over 25 who weren't rocking the flock. And we needed people under 25 to replace us because we we're going to need to be replaced. We all have an expiration date stamped on the bottom of our foot. So God asked questions, just like Dave Wells. Well, Dave probably asked him like God. How does this work in the Bible? God asked plenty of questions in the Bible for us to choose from. Someone counted in the book of Job that God asked Job 60 questions. Now, here's the kicker. This is Trevor Hudson did the hard work for me, so I just quote him. Jesus asked in the four Gospels 183 questions. 183 questions. How many do you think he answered? Four? Oh, all of them. And, well, <laughs> you're cheating. You're, you're reading the last chapter. He answered three. 
if you go through all the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you find all the t- places where Jesus asked questions, he asked 183 questions, and he only answered three. And he started early in his life asking questions. In the temple, you know, Jesus at 12 years old went to the temple. His parents took him. It was the first time the Jewish boys could go. And so he went there at 12 years old. And on the way home, he got lost. They lost God on the way home. Isn't that a horrible thing? You know, after all, he was God. And Mary and Joseph said, we lost God. What are we going to do? How are we going to answer for this? But eventually they found him in the temple. After three days, they found him in the temple court sitting around among the teachers, what? Listening to them and what? Asking them questions. And what they think. They thought he was brilliant. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. It's like, wow, maybe it's better to ask good questions than have great answers. So he starts early in this, in asking great questions. So evidently, God is really into asking questions and wanting answers from us. There's two things I want to make sure that we understand as we're, we're going to apply this in, in, in one question here in the Bible. But I want to make sure you understand God's not trying to manipulate us into something. He's wanting to have a conversation with us to where we develop this thing together and we're really in partnership with him and we understand what's going on. He's not trying to manipulate us. So it's not like, I'm going to ask you a question and I'm going to leave you over there to, to figure it out all on your own. No. And he doesn't ask us questions, just kind of manipulate us, but he's trying to bring something out of us and draw it out. So here's kind of the big idea that we're working with today. Uh, We often think of the Bible as having the answers for life's biggest questions. While that's true, they are there, it also contains some big questions God asks us. God isn't just into answers. He wants to have a conversation with us. His questions have the power to transform our lives. Today's question we're going to address from the Bible is, where are you? How we approach that question can change us forever. We have Amish people in our area. In fact, my dad grew up Amish. Amish are people that don't like modern conveniences, so they don't have electricity and cars, and they drive what we call horse and buggies or carriages, and they speak Old German, and they believe God speaks Old German. You know how they know that? Because in the German Bible, it says, Adam, wo bist du, where we read, where is Adam, where are you? So because it says, Adam, wo bist du, in German, God must speak German. And that's his native language. Anyway, don't worry about that one. That's not so important. I have seven grandchildren, and it would have been much better to have grandchildren first, I found out. Children were a lot of bother, but grandchildren were a lot of fun. All right? So sometimes our grandchildren, we have this wonderful luxury of having all of our grandchildren live close to us. So sometimes the grandkids come over and they're like 13 and on down. And the 13-year-olds still like to do this. We play flashlight hide and seek. If it's dark outside, we turn all the lights off. If it's light outside, we go downstairs into our basement, which is pretty good sized. And we turn all the lights off and everybody gets a flashlight. One person has a flashlight on and they go over here and count to 30. And then we go in our basement and we hide in the basement. It's kind of weird, you know, 60-some-year-old guy hiding in the basement from his grandkids. But it's good, you know, and sometimes I I don't want them to find me. So um, (laughs) one person counts. You ever do that hide-and-seek where you really want to get rid of somebody? You say, I'll be it. So you count, and then you don't look for the person? (laughs) Don't do that at home, okay? We love this game. I'm not sure. The kids, you know, even 13, they still like to do it. And so, you know, maybe it's because, you know, the one person is it and has to count. 
And then he goes around, he or she, and says, where are you? Maybe we like people to, have, to come. Maybe it's the thrill of hiding in the dark while another person searches us with a light. Uh, maybe it's the, uh, the reminder that we belong and our absence is recognized. And so we have a lot of fun with this game of trying to find that person. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, if you, you can turn there if you like. I don't have it on the slide, but I'm just going to read this to you. Is, is a story of where Adam and Eve were maybe lost or hiding. They were actually hiding. So how's the story go? I'm going to read it to you quickly. Now, the serpent, who later turns out to be Satan, was the shrewdest of all the creatures the Lord had made. Now, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the creatures that God had made. And really, the woman, uh, he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat of any of the fruit in the garden? Oh, of course we may eat it, the woman told him. God had given them one rule in the garden, remember? Everything's wonderful, joy, no grandkids, no children. Well, that's not it. But, uh, that just all this wonder, everything provided there to be totally happy. But he said, you'll stay happy if you don't eat of that one tree. It's, all, it's the only rule. Of course, Eve said, we can eat that. It's the only, uh, we can eat anything we want. It's only the tree at the center of the garden we're not allowed to eat. God says we must not eat it or touch it or we'll die. You won't die, the serpent hissed. God knows that your eyes will be opened when you eat it, and you'll become just like God, knowing everything, both good and evil. Well, the woman was convinced. The fruit looked so fresh and delicious, and it would make her so wise. So she ate some of the fruit, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. Don't blame it all on the woman. The man was right there during the whole deal, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt something they never felt before, shame at their nakedness. So they strung fig leaves together around their hips to cover themselves. Toward evening, they heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they felt something else they'd never felt before. What was that? Fear. In the Garden of Eden, there was shame and fear introduced because of what they'd done. So they hid themselves among the trees. The Lord God called to Adam, where are you? Do you think God couldn't find them? The question was not for God, it was for them. Where are you? He replied, Adam, I heard you, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. What's God do next? Say, tell them they were naughty. No, he asked another question. He says, who told you you were naked? The Lord asked. Then he asked another question. Have you eaten the fruit that I commanded you not to eat? And it goes on and tells the story of the consequences of that fall, which I didn't somehow get pasted into my notes here. Well, you remember what happened. God goes to each of them, and he says, why did you do this? The man says, well, it was a woman. And he goes to the woman, why did you do this? Well, it was a snake. And God says, okay, away with all of you. No, he didn't do that. But he did say, judgment comes to each one. And then he tells the snake, Eventually, you are, you are going to be totally conquered by the seed of the woman, the descendant of the woman. And so that's how God finishes the story. So what's the first question in the Bible? The first question in the Bible. Trick question, sorry. Not trying to make you look ashamed or afraid. But it was Satan that asked the first question in the Bible. Satan asked the first question in the Bible, and why is that? Because he knows the power of a question too. 
He knows the power of a question to transform. So he said, did God really say you must not eat any fruit? If he would have come along and said, go ahead and have a bite, it wouldn't have worked. But what he did is he started making Eve question. So we need to be careful about the questions we entertain and make sure that we're answering them in a biblical way, which she did initially. He comes along, Satan, and says, hey, did God really say that you, can't, uh, that you must not eat any of the fruit? He really twists the question around. She says, oh, we can eat anything except that one. Well, why would he do that? He's trying to keep you under his thumb, make you unhappy. And for the first time, she was unhappy because she entertained the, wrong, the question in the wrong way. So Satan also knows the power of questions. But God comes back. Once they have disobeyed him and gotten into all this trouble, and then he asks a question. And he says, where are you? And so when he asks this question, here he's taking his creation, humans, that have done all these wonderful things, had this great time with him, who were so innocent, and now they broke the only rule God had given them, and they created this very difficult situation where now they're hiding from God. So... They covered themselves, they hid themselves from God, and God went looking for them. I think that's really amazing, that God went looking for them. He, didn't, he, he, he wanted to restore what was lost. He refused to leave them alone, though they weren't really looking for God themselves. And so God took the initiative to go after them. It wasn't, now you have to understand this, it wasn't just a confrontation over their disobedience. It was a rescue mission. Adam, where are you? And I think God still does that for us today. When we get out of sorts, we don't find God, he finds us, he isn't lost, we are, and he's trying to help us. So here are some things that when God comes looking for us and asking these questions that we can do. We need to come out of hiding. We need to come out of hiding. And one of the reasons that God asked this question, Adam, where are you, is because he wants us to come out of hiding. The game's over. So one day, uh, a, a, a Sunday some time ago, our grandkids came over and we played hide and seek. Now, Gavin and I hid really well, okay? So we were upstairs. It was dark. And uh, we have this furniture in our, what do we call it, a living room or a lounge, okay? And we, were, we found this way to hide, and it was behind a chair in plain view. We really weren't hidden that well. But the it person wasn't looking for us in that location. Uh, Tyler, our oldest grandson, uh, he did a super job. He goes into my wife's closet, and he's thinking, I'm going to hide behind her clothes. And then he spots some boots. So he puts the boots on and hides behind the clothes. And we almost don't find the guy. And it's like, Tyler, where are you? We, and they, after they finally found us in plain sight, then we had to go for looking for Tyler. It took us a long time to find him. But after a while, uh, we just wanted him to come out so we could play together again. Sometimes I think God's a little bit that way. We hide in plain sight from God. There are things that we do that make us feel ashamed or afraid. And he calls out, where are you? And he wants us to come out of hiding. He wants us to come out of hiding. Remember the way God created us. You know what was happening in the garden before the fall? Adam and Eve were enjoying God, enjoying them. I mean, he had this fantastic 
garden, but they had this fantastic relationship with God, and God would enjoy them, and he'd come and talk with them, and, and what would they have in the cool of the day? Conversations. Sin broke the conversation. That's why God hates sin. It breaks up this thing of we enjoy God. You know, when I was little, we used to smoke cigarette butts. We said, call them butts, is that the ends of the cigarettes? Probably some infected person had smoked those before, but we found them in them. And then we'd feel a little naughty, you know. You didn't feel like coming in and getting real close to your parents when you smell like cigarette smoke and you'd been naughty. Sometimes we smell like sin smoke or something. And we get this crazy idea that we, you know, when we've done something wrong, we kind of hide from God. We don't feel like we can, he's not enjoying us. We're not going to enjoy him. And we get this thing all messed up. So God says, Steve, where are you? You know what we ask? What do we ask? When we've gone down that road a little while, we start feeling so far from God. It may not even be sin. It may just be life. We go down that road for a while and we say, God, where are you? You know how God answers that? Steve, where are you? Let's think about this a little bit. So God's where are you is to call us back into the conversation, into the relationship again. Jesus said it this way in Matthew eleven twenty eight: 28. Come to me all... And I will give you rest, all who work so hard beneath a heavy yoke. So God wants to be with us. We're trying to find Tyler with the boots on and Gavin hidden in plain sight. Where are you? Come on out. But we hide. We don't hide from God very well, but we do hide. But we do learn to hide from God and others, others in plain sight. We're ashamed and we're afraid to be with God. And here's a kicker. This is really a big deal. When we stay hidden, we stay the same. We never become more than we are when we stay hidden. So God says, where are you, Steve? Come on out. It's time to stop playing around. (laughs) And let's talk this thing through. Let's work through some things. We're ashamed and we're afraid and we are alone in plain sight of God and others because we've hidden. Brennan Manning says, we want everybody to admire us and nobody to know us. I can get a hold of that. I'm an American guy, rugged individualist. I want everybody to admire me, but I don't want anybody to really, really know me, because they might find out something that they wouldn't admire me about anymore. So we stay hidden and we stay the same. We hide from God, we hide from other people, and we never become more than we are. Whatever is hidden cannot be healed. So it's a wonderful experience to go to the doctor. He looks at this, he pokes that. She talks about this. She uncovers things that need to be revealed in order for them Then they do these horrible things called biopsies. I had a biopsy once. You know what they always say when this is a biopsy? This won't hurt. The needle was that long. I'm serious, it was that long. I said, could I poke you with this a bit and see if if you say that again? It just feels like pressure. Or it'd just be a little pinprick. Anyway, I digress. 
whatever is hidden can't be healed. So God asks us these awkward questions that we don't really want to answer. I don't want to answer. Dave's back at it again, asking questions. And it's kind of an irritating. But actually, the reason that it irritates is because we're not on the same page with God. We're not really into the conversation deeply enough to know that this could really be good. Maybe I wouldn't have to pastor the whole time. Maybe I could do ministry and do king, take the kingdom to the marketplace and have a lot more fun than I had ever imagined. Or maybe, maybe God could help me with this thing that I've kept hidden and shameful all this time if I just join the conversation that he started and begin working on that. So God says, where are you? And he's coming, and it's an invitation to come out of hiding and stop pretending. Men hide more often and better than women, I think. I'm much better hiding than my wife. But it doesn't make me happier because I hide well. So God keeps asking this question, where are you? We hide, God searches. And so in Luke 19.10, it says, the Son of Man came to look for those that are hiding, to seek and save the lost. Another translation says, the Son of Man came to find and restore the lost. And Jesus would tell parables about lost stuff. Remember that? The lost coin, the lost uh, sheep, the lost son. He really got into that one. Told a big story about this lost son. And it all describes two things. The agony of losing something that's really valuable and the joy of finding something that's lost. In every one of them, they have a party afterwards when the lost is found. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, better yet. And so God describes this longing that he is in his heart for lost people and for hidden stuff in us. God's heart just yearns for those that are out of relationship with him. So he keeps asking them questions. I suggest this. This is kind of a thing that pops in my head, too. I wonder sometimes if one of the mental struggles I have is because I'm not willing to entertain the question that God has. Ask me. So I have these mental and emotional battles that I face. And if I just really get that question out there and talk it out with him and others, maybe I could get farther along. Imagine coming out of hiding in shame and fear. And being surprised to find a loving and welcoming God on the other end of that. I mean, I think there was a mixture with Adam and Eve. I think that when they came out of hiding and God says, okay, look, those fig leaves aren't going to wash launder well. So let me do this. Let me, here's the first sin. Here's the first shame and fear. Here's the first hiding from God, the first conversation, first question God asks. And then the first animal that dies. So God kills an animal. And he puts skin on that animal so that their shame is covered. And he talks to them and brings them out. And granted, there are certain consequences like they're not going to live in the garden anymore. But he prefigures this whole thing of Jesus coming to us by saying, first of all, you're going to have this skin that's going to cover you and something died to cover your shame. But there's going to be a whole lot better one later on when my son dies for you to cover your sin and shame. But it's not only just going to be covered, it's going to be cleansed. And then he prefigures that when that son comes, he is going to crush that serpent's head 
and there's going to be victory over our arch enemy for the first time. We have a, a large measure of that victory right now, and we'll have, ultimately, he'll be totally vanquished. So there's this sense of coming out of hiding, and so there was this mixture that Adam and Eve had with God where there was the, you know, the, the, the sweet and the sour and the bitter. The bitter of recognizing that their sin costs something, but that God could do something right now, and he's going to do a whole lot more to take care of the mess we created. So he draws them out with this question. It's kind of like the prodigal son where he came to his senses when he had, here's this son who squanders his father's wealth, ends up in poverty, and finally realizes far from home that he came to his senses. He said to himself at home, even the hired men have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I'm going to go home to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son Please take me as a hired man. So he's sorting this thing out, and he says, maybe I kind of earned my way back home. The father's there, you know, searching the internet for his son, saying, where are you? And the son starts responding to that call, saying, I'll just go home, and I'll be a slave. And it'd be better to be a slave here, there than to be impoverished here, so I'll do that. But here's the interesting thing. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long distance away, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. How'd the son smell? Like pigs, because he'd been feeding pigs. It's an interesting picture in the Bible, because Jesus is obviously talking about God the Father. This is the only place in the whole Bible that you will ever find a picture of God running. Jesus never ran. God never runs. He's never in a hurry. He's never late, but he never runs. The only time we ever have God running is when the son answered the question, where are you? And he came home and he said, it didn't go so well, dad. We had a really rough time here. And uh, if you read more in the scripture, uh, well, we'll just read this part. He was still along. His father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. And what's the son do? Remember the story? If you know the story, he protests. He kind of says, no, Dad, kind of smell kind of bad right now. I, I got, you know, I'm a, a Jewish guy. We never eat pork, but I got pink st uh, pig stink on me. Just going to give me a little break here. And besides that, I'm not worthy to be so your son anymore. And his father says, forget about it. And they bring a ring of authority, and they put the shoes on his feet and a robe on him, and they dress him all up, and they have this fantastic party for a guy who was lost, and he's found. For a guy who was hiding but he came out of hiding to get back into the conversation with his dad. And when he had the conversation, it turned out better than he thought it ever would. He thought his dad would probably say, got plenty of slaves right now. I'll put you on the list. Don't call me, I'll call you. No. His dad was thrilled. And he got the thing sorted out with his son. Because the sun came out of hiding. So, not only do we need to come out of hiding, we need to start talking with God. So God says, where are you? And we start a conversation with him. You know, again, we're looking at these questions that God asked in series back in the garden. God started a conversation, where are you? Who told you you were naked? We don't think right when we're lost like that. We don't, we don't see things as God sees them. Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? 
What is this you've done? See, God knew what happened, but he wanted them to understand what happened. And here's a really interesting thing about this story. Uh, God described the consequences of their disobedience. He set new boundaries for them, and he promised victory over Satan, as we talked about. You see, as God works through this, he wants us not just to say, uh, he doesn't just want to say to us, you were wrong, you should be sorry. Say, you're sorry. <laughs> Which is not really always a good thing to tell your kids to tell their, parents, their, their siblings because they they're not really sorry. He doesn't do it to shame us. Sin already did that. He does it to restore us. And so before God clothes you and forgives you, he talks with you. Don't miss out on that conversation. Now, we're talking about sin, but there's a lot of applications of this along the way. But before God restores us and does all the things to get us back under the table and eating again, he has a conversation with us. Because he wants to kind of talk this through. Let's talk about how we got off track here. If you apply it to my first uh, topic that I talked about, there's the one of, um, you know, my thinking about pastoring the church and where the church was going and God's thinking. I was 63 when I turned the church over. I'm 59 now. <laughs> I'm going backwards. And I was 63 and Jeremy, the new guy that we got from North Carolina, was 36. And I said, we need to innovate in our church. I'm not the guy for that. We need to have a younger pastor because typically lead pastors can reach two decades below them, but not too well below that. And I go into our church now, and I'm just grinning from ear to ear because I see what's happening. Because I thought I was the one at first when Dave had the conversation. My thinking wasn't, we're going to have this conversation with God. Dave wasn't good enough, but he kind of got me on the right track. But to where I could have this conversation with God, and begin to see that this thing could actually turn out differently than I think. When I first, turned, when I first uh, turned the church over to Jeremy, I went to a LifeLinks conference in Canada. And when I was there, everybody looked at me and said, you are so happy. You must be happy not to pastor the church. I said, no, I'm so happy with how it turned out. This is amazing. I never thought it would be this way until God and I started having conversations. And it turned out so much differently than I thought. And so before God works things out, before he accomplishes your, his will in your life, he wants to talk with you about it so you can get on the same page. Before God opens things up to you as a church, you know, I've been walking along with you, uh, in a sense, as you've been looking at this building thing and looking at in every, you know, we were really excited about the co-op and thinking maybe that's it. Well, maybe, yeah. But then something else, then something else. You think, God... Are we having a conversation here? Maybe God isn't just dumping us into a new facility. He's wanting to have a conversation with us where we really understand and unpack the whole purpose of God, new purposes even for our church, and where he wants to take us. And I'm really excited about where God's taking you, but I'm also excited about the conversation along the way because Jesus isn't just the answer. He's, a, he's, he's the way to get there. So he talks with us. In Isaiah 1.18, it says this, come, let's talk with this over. No matter how deep the stain of your sin is, I can take it out. You know how this scripture goes. So let me just kind of tie this all together by telling you this story of picking up the conversation. Had a conversation recently with an 11-year-old boy. This one is almost emotional for me because it was so serious. He was hiding 
11-year-old boy, he came to me and he said, I need to talk with you. He said, the other day I was home, mom was gone, and uh, my brother was giving me a lot of grief and driving me crazy, and it wasn't the first time, and he's a pretty sensitive child. And so he said, I went into the kitchen, and I took a knife out of the drawer, and I was going to stab myself. Now, that's pretty deep into the process. And so he says, but then, just before I did, I thought about how my parents would cry at my funeral. I thought, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) And I stopped, and I didn't do anything. Could you help me? He came out of hiding, and we had a conversation. And then he said, I said, well, how about... I talked to him a little bit, and then I said, how about we bring your parents? Oh, no, 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 I'm afraid of what they would do. They'd be mad at me if they knew that I did this. So eventually we got the parents involved, and he was so surprised that they weren't mad at him. They wanted to help him. This happened recently. During this time that I've been in Germany, and here I keep thinking, oh, boy, I think, praying every day, God, help this little boy with this struggle. But God did. And so he came out of hiding. I think God was saying, hey, little boy, where are you? And so he identified where he was, and he came and talked to me, and then he came and and then we talked to God about it. And we're starting to have these conversations where things can get sorted out in his life, and he can have hope, and he can have help, and he can find some new ways of dealing with this so that he can fulfill what God has for him too. I I just think God's amazing. He's brilliant. So what I I want to encourage you to do is to think about, in general, the fact that while we're asking questions, God's asking some too, and to maybe begin to identify the questions, or let's say it this way, identify God in the questions that are coming to your mind. Say, hey, maybe God's kind of prodding me a little bit with that question. And maybe one of those questions especially is, where are you? Where are you? It doesn't mean, I'm not talking about it only if you sin, but maybe you're struggling, or maybe you're confused, or maybe God has a different direction for you, and so he comes to you and says, hey, where are you? Let's talk about that a little bit. And we have to come out of our own hiding and be willing to talk that out. And sometimes it helps to talk to somebody like me, well, for that little boy. And to... Have someone with skin on that that we can talk to and say, I don't want to stay hidden. I want to get healed. I don't want to hide in confusion. I want to find some clarity here. I want to believe that God is going to give me a warm reception and we'll have a great talk and some new clothes and some fresh smells and a brand new future. And I think we can present that to other people too. In fact, you can take my little tip that I learned in the airplane that when we're talking to people maybe far from God or confused about God, maybe it'd be better if we asked them questions about them and they may ask some questions from us about God. They call that three-story evangelism. We find out their story first, then we tell them our story, and then we tell them his story. So it's good for us to be able to ask these questions. And that's the way God works, see? He wants to talk to us about it. He doesn't need more information. He's got all that. He just loves us, wants to have a conversation. It's not information. So I really want to encourage you to do this. 
to begin identifying the questions that may be rattling around your mind the Holy Spirit put there and to begin thinking in terms of he doesn't just give me things to do and facts. He asks questions that he's not going to answer. That, but we're going to sort out together and find what's really true about us and about him and about where he's taking us. And I think that's going to happen on a church-wide level. If there's one thing that I would say in the midst of all that to give one resounding conclusion, refuse to hide from God. If you do, he'll come looking for you. But it never turns out well. It's kind of like playing hide-and-seek on yourself and never going to look for yourself again. It's not a good ending. It doesn't end well. So let's pray together. God, thank you so much that no matter how confused we are or no matter how happy we are in a present situation or no matter how hidden we are, you come looking for us because you want to call us into a deeper relationship. You want to sort things out for us. You want to give us a warm welcome. You want to help us deal with even the consequences of our sins so that we don't deal with those on our own. You want to help us. And we want to be found by you. I think of that last verse, Lord, in Psalm 119, where the psalmist said, Lord, your servant has gone astray like a lost sheep. Would you please seek your servant? You do that, and you do it with questions. Help us to identify the questions you're asking us. Thank you, God. I am so thrilled to be associated with this church here and all the dynamic and wonderful things that are happening in and through this church. But God, we also want to entertain questions that are maybe a little awkward at first that talk about where we're going to go next as a church and be willing to go there as we talk this out with you and have conversations. I pray especially, God, for people that seem so well hidden today, right in plain sight. Help us, God, who are hiding to come out and get that sorted out so that we can really find freedom and joy and enjoy you enjoying us again, which is always your intention. In Jesus' name, amen.